What's up, everyone? This is Anthony Pompliano. Most of you know me as Pomp. You're listening to Off The Chain, simply the best podcast in crypto. Let's kick this thing off. Bill Ottman is the founder and CEO of Minds.com. In this conversation, we talked about free speech, social networks, censorship, crypto as money and an incentive, and what Bill thinks about aliens. This conversation is wide ranging and I really enjoyed recording it. I hope you enjoy it as well. I'm sure a lot of you have used Kayak to find the best flight. Total's kind of like Kayak, but it don't find you no flights. It helps you find liquidity on decentralized exchanges and it optimally routes your trades for execution. So Kayak, you find flights. Total, they help you find liquidity. We should get Kayak on for this spot that I'm providing them, but Total instead is our advertiser, and you should go visit total.com slash pomp. Again, that's total.com slash pomp, and let them know that I sent you. Tell them you love their product. Take a screenshot. Tweet it at me. I'll drop you some fire emojis, and then we'll all be happy. So total.com slash pomp. Boom, another ad. As many of you know, crypto investors store their digital assets on exchanges or in cold storage for long-term safekeeping. However, this strategy doesn't help them grow their investment holdings or build overall wealth. With the new BlockFi interest account, users can now securely store their Bitcoin or Ether at BlockFi and receive 6% annual interest paid monthly in cryptocurrency. 6% is an absurdly high rate. It's the best rate in the industry. I highly suggest you go check out BlockFi.com slash POMP. Again, that's BlockFi.com slash POMP to sign up and start earning crypto today. Anthony Pompliano is a partner at Morgan Creek Digital. All opinions expressed by Pomp or his guests on this podcast are solely their opinions and do not reflect the opinions of Morgan Creek Digital or Morgan Creek Capital Management. You should not treat any opinion expressed by Pomp as a specific inducement to make a particular investment or follow a particular strategy, but only as an expression of his opinion. This podcast is for informational purposes only. Bang, bang. All right, guys. I got Bill here. Uh, we got a lot of weird shit to talk about. Let's uh, do it. Dude, thank you so much for coming. Thanks for having me, dude. All right. What the hell is your background? I used to organize music festivals. Uh, <laughs> like gather- Fire Festival? Gathering of the Vibes. Have you heard of that? No, it's what is that? It's in Connecticut. It's four days. Grateful Dead, James Brown. Oh, um, man. That kind of stuff. All right. And I was always into crowds, bringing people together, harnessing crowd energy that's just been fascinating to me and then i mean i studied english at uvm and i studied english in second grade but nice. i got gotcha. you i know your english You're- sucks <laughs> <laughs> so then i i actually hated facebook and social media when it first started i was almost like anti-tech because oh, really? i just saw people like looking at their phones i'm like this isn't I was living in Vermont. I was like in the woods all the time, but yeah, we're all it, it was it was having a destructive behavior. I was just I was I was not interested in getting involved. And then I started to understand that there's two different types of tech. You have like this proprietary surveillance based tech that's exploiting people and doing all of that, and then you have free and open source software, decentralized technology that is actually trying to empower. And so the fact that there's that distinction, you know, I was all obsessed with local organic food and, you know, sustainable energy and this kind of stuff. And I started to see that, oh, in technology, there's this distinction. Yep. I didn't realize that. It's the idea that technology is not good or bad. It's how it's applied. Mm -hmm. Right. Uh, All right. So you are uh, organizing music festivals, the organic food, hate technology, and then you start a tech company. How the hell does that happen? Yeah. I mean, it's about bringing people together. We originally started doing live events 
and we had we would do these forums sort of fuse it with music and so you know social networking is live too it's not just online and that's how we were approaching it and then we're like okay let's embrace the internet of course the internet's like the central nervous system of humanity it's basically our i started realizing it's it is our biology almost it's an extension of us technology so let's embrace it let's do it the right way okay and you start minds in 2015 that's when we launched our apps we actually incorporated way back in 2011 wow and we're building out something scalable like we had to rip apart you know databases and pull in cassandra and bring together open source frameworks to build something that could yeah and during this time you know about crypto or don't know about crypto i knew about crypto in 2012 2013 that's when i first started getting into bitcoin but no we were interested in like building an open source social network before I mean, we were into cryptography, so we had like encrypted chat, mm-hmm. but not cryptocurrency as much. Yeah. And in 2012, 2013, really, it's just Bitcoin, right? It's, there's not too much else to talk mm-hmm. about at that point. Um, you start building a bunch of different stuff and you end up on mines as uh uh, one of the applications that really starts to take off, maybe give us an understanding of what that is and kind of what the early versions look like. And then yeah. we can talk about where it's evolved to. We first got like a quarter million users in like a week when we launched and we believe in the right to anonymity and privacy. And that was when the Snowden NSA leaks were happening. And so people were freaking out about that. It was like, okay. And we got a bunch of press and people saw this alternative. And there were a few alternative social networks emerging like Diaspora, which is a decentralized mm-hmm. social network as well. Open so, source. so in 2015 or whenever the, this was all going down, mm-hmm. uh, you guys were doing decentralization and anonymity and privacy were kind of the three core tenants. Is that fair to say? Yeah. Got it. And uh, what's your take on Snowden? We're, we're I like, jump, we're I like right more into- information. I want more information about everything that's going on. So, you know, in terms of the ethics of of everything, you know, I'm not trying to compromise national security, but I also think that a lot of the excuses for not being transparent in government and saying that, oh, it's for national security, that's BS. Like, we need to know what's going on. They were violating the Constitution you know, it, it's it's it wasn't it wasn't really legal. And now that I think they quote unquote just ended the Snowden program. I saw some press releases about that, but you know, I don't buy it. The- so, so you're more of the belief that there's some things that are going to be done under national security kind of cover, and there's an argument that that stuff should happen, but. 80% or some majority of the things that happen under the cover of national security shouldn't actually be hidden and they should be more transparent about what they're doing, how they're doing it, how it affects citizens, et cetera. For sure. Let's not open source the nuclear launch codes, but I think that there's so much that we ha- should have access to that they're making excuses for. A- any examples of things where you're like, no brainer, this should be more transparent and shouldn't be behind the national security uh, veil? Energy technology. I think that there, there's certainly the surveillance stuff. I, I think that there's energy tech that they probably have. You know, maybe there's alien stuff that they have. <laughs> let's let, let's go there right away. We know. All right. Here, here's the thing. We know there's crafts that they have. Whether that technology is government technology or alien technology, you know, that's up in the air. What, what do you mean that we know there's crafts? So, have you heard of the Phoenix Lights incident? 
Uh, I've heard a lot of lights in like the southwest of the United okay. States. So but what is the Phoenix lights? Fife Symington, who was the governor of Arizona at the time of this, fully admits, and there's footage of it, a monster triangular craft hovering over Phoenix for hours. And, you know, hundreds of thousands of people saw it. The governor had, on CNN said that he thinks it was an ET vehicle. The governor of the state. This isn't just, you know, speculation. Really? Yes. Oh, man. So, let's go. So we know that happened. Honestly, most likely it's a government craft. But what the heck? <laughs> so so basically there's an un, a, a literally unidentified flying object, yes. right, that a bunch of people see. The governor thinks that it could be something that's extra extraterrestrial. I think that's how you say it. Um I would agree with you that it's probably a government associated thing if there if there was something there. Um, and you think that there's a ton of that type of activity where they're testing things, there's communication, there's telescopes, all that mm-hmm. should be much more transparent. Secret and, space program, you know, all, all, all sorts of. What's your take on the secret space program? Man, I love this conversation. <laughs> We're jumping right into it right out of the gate. Let's go. We know that it's there. But we also don't know what's there. So, you know, FOIA, Freedom of Information Reform, that's where the focus has to be. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, that goes along with, you know, in the corporate end, advocating for free and open source licensing within corporate giants. You know, and we're seeing enterprise companies understand that open source can win. So, you know, WordPress, Docker, MongoDB, all these companies are killing it Mm -hmm. with an open source model. Bitcoin, not a company, but... It, it, it might yeah. even be bigger than all of them and uh, yeah. and not being a company may be an advantage. Mm-hmm. So, you know, the government, what do they, they're so incapable of developing good technology and they're, but in simultaneously they're keeping it so secret. It's just a, it's a strange well, I would, I, well, dynamic. On, so I, would, I would argue that the government's actually incredibly good at developing technology in certain, like highly innovative technology in very specific use cases, right? Like Agreed. the internet, for example, um, you know, it is, many would argue, created by the government, mm-hmm. right? There's tons of- um, DARPA. DARPA, I mean, all uh-huh. of this, uh, robotics, right? Yes. All, all of this. And so I think uh, it's actually the most innovative things they're really good at. It's- Anything below that threshold of innovation? Healthcare.gov? <laughs> Not so great at I mean, right? but how does that make sense that simultaneously they're creating the most brilliant technology, but also healthcare.gov? Mm-hmm. Multi-billion dollar to put up a, a basic website. How? Well, that <laughs> I think that's probably less about the uh, their ability as technologists and more about the government process of, mm-hmm. uh, you know, hey, everyone should have equal opportunity to come and build this website. And we all know that it, it's like the prisoner's dilemma, right? Mm-hmm. I know that if I bid high enough, right, and you bid high enough, they're going to pay one of us some ridiculous price. And so everyone just keeps bidding higher and higher and higher. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and the contracts get out of control. Right. That's more of a, of a contract process problem as opposed to not having access to incredible technologists. Yeah, like there, yeah. there's people in the government who could build a way better website. They're just doing other things, right? right? It, mm-hmm. It's the, oh, we're going to outsource this, mm-hmm. right? Like, like do you, I would actually even make the argument that the government outsourcing things in some cases hurts them. Like they would be better off doing it internally and actually not being so bureaucratic and just saying, look, I know that you're a really talented developer. You and three other people get in a room, go build this website. 
mm-hmm. like that product is probably better than going through the contracting process and outsourcing it to private companies. There's another argument that I also would agree with in certain cases where the government should outsource a lot of things to the private market, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so I think it really is case dependent on what we're talking about, right? Building robotics is very different than building health co- healthcare.gov. Completely agree with the nuance there. Yeah. What? Um. So, so let's go back to uh, Minds.com. Uh, as you're starting this thing, privacy and anonymity are at the forefront. Why was uh, anonymity so important? Well, because you forcing identity is it, it affects the way that you communicate with the world. You know, you uh, if you're not allowed to potentially be anonymous, I mean. So, the way that you post the psychology involved when you're not worrying about your reputation, it, it there's a chilling effect that happens when identity is forced. And it has to do with anonymity and privacy are sort of intertwined. So it's not that we think that everyone should be anonymous. It's that you need to maintain that right because otherwise it sort of becomes a, a dystopia. It's interesting because I think that a lot of times when this conversation comes up with friends, there's a very black and white distinction between you're anonymous or you use your identity, right? And Twitter's actually a great example of there's a gray area. There's true anonymity, there's pseudonymity, and there's identity, right? And some of the biggest accounts on Twitter are actually pseudonymous accounts. They're not anonymous, right? They're pseudonymous. And those pseudonyms take on a life of their own, right? And so you kind of get into this world where some people want to have an identity, but it's an identity that's not their own, mm-hmm. right? And, and like, I've always been fascinated by the idea of uh, being anonymous in situations. Uh, there's a lot of power. I think you're talking about this chilling effect. How do you see users acting differently when you give them that option versus if, let's say, you guys didn't give the uh, anonymity as an option? You see both. You see some people abusing anonymity in the worst ways. I mean, you know, vast majority of trolls are anonymous. Yep. Not 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 nearly as many uh, self-identified uh, trolls, but um, most people identify themselves. You know, most people still choose to yeah. use identity, even when they have the option for anonymity. Mm-hmm. Why do you think that is? I think people have a eagerness to be heard and be recognized. And to share their thoughts and connect with other people. And, you know, they're they're not necessarily trying to hide. But just because you don't have anything to hide doesn't mean you should uh, be forced to share everything about you. Some a lot of people be like, oh, you know, I don't care if the government's surveilling me because I have nothing to hide. Well, that's ridiculous. That's like saying, um, you know, you don't need freedom of speech because you don't really feel like you have anything to say. Like you still deserve the right to privacy, even if you have nothing to hide. It's a principle. And do you feel like it is the responsibility of companies to police the actions of the community? Or do you think it's the responsibility of the community? And the reason why I ask that is when you talk about this, uh, most of the trolls are anonymous, right? At some point, there's an argument to be made. Hey, we want a community that is that avoids that, right? Or, or kind of uh, punishes those people. And then there's the other argument, which is kind of like the gab, you know, audience, which says we're not going to stop anybody from saying anything and just mm-hmm. have at it. 
where do you guys fall on this scale? And then also, how do you think about the policing? Is it community-based, company, a, a hybrid? Yeah, it's hybrid. So first of all, our, so our policy is that if it's legal in the US, it's okay. So we are moderating for illegal content. Obviously, no inciting violence or you know crazy harassment or like spamming, that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. And so we do both. We actually are about to roll out a juror system so that when... There's appeals or something. A, a, a group of twelve users will actually vote, not us, on the outcome, because we. I don't want to be in that position. That's yep. a horrible place to be. Yep. Us subjectively deciding the outcome of of these decisions is is really dangerous, and it actually it also takes off overhead to have the community help with moderation. Mm-hmm. And so, how does that yeah. work? Let's say I, I get on there and I I go wild. I say a bunch of crazy stuff. Somebody flags it and says this guy shouldn't be here, mm-hmm. right? Um, what do they do? Take all my content, kick it over. There's 12 people who review it and they like vote. Yeah. So this, this will be rolled out in beta at the end of the month. And essentially it's within the terms. So it's not just 12 people saying, Oh, we like this or we don't like this. They're in charge of enforcing the terms. Got it. So kind of like a true jury, right? Yeah. Like, Hey, here are the rules mm-hmm. that in which the terms of service provide, mm-hmm. did this person step out of bounds on the terms or not? Yep. And you have every user uh, can, you know, just go through this quick test to make sure they're not trolling it. And then you have a queue that a user can step into and hop in the queue anytime they want. Ah, so really you are truly like open sourcing the process of which the judging of the content comes. Mm-hmm. Did you see the recent article about um, the folks at Facebook uh, who um, sit and watch all the like really bad oh, content? That, yeah, with that weird cartoon thumbnail. Yeah, I, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. I so so I, I read the article and um, it was fascinating to me, right? Like the, the claims in the article and, and uh, I'll get to what I think about it all in a second, but just for those that don't know, there was an article that was written um, in one of the service centers. Uh, think of it kind of like a call center, but rather than it being a call center, Facebook has um, employees uh, or contractors, I think, sit in uh, in these places and they look at flagged content. So content that's been posted on Facebook that somebody has flagged as either dangerous, abusive, um, you know, not not the right thing for Facebook. And these people sit there and they look through and basically approve or deny whether that content meets the rules or not, kind of like your jury system, but rather than be open source, this is more closed source. And this article was articulating the things that they see are crazy, right? They see people killed. They see people beat up. They see, um, you know, just nasty stuff and the mental impact, right? The psychological impact on these people of just sitting all day long and looking at this content, uh, the, the claim in the article is it's pretty severe. PTSD. Yeah, exactly. PTSD, I think, was like, that was uh, one of the claims. There's a bunch of them in there. People have a hard time sleeping, et cetera. I've got to think that I'm not a scientist, right? But it would be hard to argue if you can get PTSD from seeing content, events, violence, et cetera, if you then sit and watch it all day long. I, there's a high probability that you could get PTSD from just watching it, even if you're not involved, right? Mm-hmm. So, like, I think that's not too hard of a line to draw. Um, but what do you think about the idea of it being closed source versus open source? Like, you guys go to this juror model, right? They have that more of like a closed source model. What What are the, like the big differences or advantages you think that that you guys get from the open source? When you're looking at such a high concentration of that content all day long, I mean. 
that's be- going to become your reality and your experience. So that that's really dangerous. And I think that we need to look at ways to make sure that people, especially moderators or jurors or whoever, doesn't have too much um uh, screen time with that. But the the issue is that the research that we have put together with dozens of studies that show that the policy, our policy is open source too. So it's all on GitLab, gitlab.com slash minds. Anyone can comment on our, on our terms. We're evolving them as we go. But the censorship research shows that you make the problem worse when you censor it, especially if it's in these subjective areas with like offensive comedy or you know, that round thing on your chest that, you know, isn't allowed on uh, the N word, uh, nipple. Uh, oh, God, God, God. <laughs> Just, I was like, what? You, I could have gone a lot of different ways there. <laughs> nipple is okay. No, I mean, Facebook is banning uh, old pieces, old statues. Mm-hmm. I mean, come on. That's not that's not help that helping society. That's mm-hmm. not the direction that we need to go. But, but, it, do, you, but do you think that there is nuance to the rules like like because i think with the argument that a lot of these folks have right that are participating on the side that maybe you and i probably don't agree with right but i wish i'd put myself in their in their shoes is the rules are the rules and you have a rule that is black and white right no nipples for example Mm -hmm. but you are then selectively approving it by saying oh it's okay in this situation because it's a historic photo right like how does any company facebook or, or any other content platform Provide the nuance of the rules. Just with, be, just keep it simple. I mean, provide filters for the content so you don't have to see what you don't want to see. And just if so it's you, you basically give the users the right to say, I don't want to see this. Yeah, I don't want to see any sort of NSFW mm-hmm. content. And but to say that you're going to ban all of that from the platform entirely, this is where I don't I, I you see the hypocrisy because, for instance, Google, you can Google anything. Google is deciding not to ban a bunch of content from Google search. Mm-hmm. But when you're on YouTube or a bunch of other Google products, they do. So wait a second. Where, why? If, what, if, like <laughs> what type of content? I, actually, I'm unaware of this. So if I Google, um, do, do you know something that falls in if this? If you Google nudity, uh-huh. you're going to find websites that have lots of nudity. Yep. Now, you can't. But I can't go to YouTube, YouTube and see videos with nudity in them. Right. Where's okay. the consistency there? So they're understanding from the perspective of Google search that censorship doesn't really make sense. I think that, you know, generally speaking, Internet companies in the U.S. know that we don't want to completely censor the Internet. Otherwise, we're turning into China. Mm-hmm. OK, so but why are we not applying that consistently across our apps? Why are we only applying it to search? It's it's this strange compartmentalization of information. Could could it be something where the regulation and law ends up separating like you found a website and even though the website has nudity, the website is just a website and they're all treated the same versus like the video is then porn? I'm just trying mm. to think through like why you mean they like be doing where it. it's hosted. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I don't know what the answer is, right? But like I, I'm wondering if there's just and this would go to being the rules being dumb, right? Mm-hmm. Hey, if somebody else hosts the content and you help people get there, that's not bad. But if you host the content, then you're bad, right? Like like stupid stuff like that. I'm mm-hmm. sure is all over these censorship. There's rules. nothing illegal about. I think if the content's illegal, you're probably not going to find it in Google search. But they're they're basically choosing to 
not have that on YouTube, even if it's illegal. And I think a lot of it comes down to payments and payment processors. Okay. And so I think that there's a, a, a force coming from the payment processors to not, there's legitimate reasons. I mean, there's high risk content. Mm -hmm. So if you have like super explicit content, then, you know, a lot of payment processors don't want to be involved or there's going to be higher fees associated with high risk content. So I think those are reasons. I think that there's just PR reasons for, for the censorship. But if we, it's getting out of control because now the AI and the algorithms are just sweeping all the content on the net- network and banning it just by default, mm-hmm. you know, and, you know, they're just letting the blowback for people appealing it and then they'll say, okay, you can have it come back. But like, for instance, thousands of creators on YouTube are just getting demonetized out the gate because there's certain keywords associated with their channel and it's just, it's blowing up. So and but now- it actually helps the creators sometimes, right? How? Like, like, I mean, look, we had a podcast episode get taken down from Apple Mm -hmm. that uh, ended up not having anything to do with the content, but we didn't know at the time. And I tweeted it to all these followers. And when it came back, the episode exploded. Now, Mm -hmm. the content was good, right? But everyone was basically saying, oh, my God, what was that content that got banned, Mm -hmm. right? Streisand effect. A perfect example. Yep. That's it. And that's why the... That's a lot of the research that works against censorship logic. It doesn't even work. Even if your goal is to say, get rid of offensive speech or or super controversial speech, like we want to make a safer community. Censorship doesn't even achieve that goal because when you ban all that content, everyone's like, oh my gosh, I have to go see (laughs) what that banned content is. And you're creating these sort of infestations of, uh, you know, sort of like digital ghettos of content that just make the problem worse in some other dark corner of the internet mm-hmm. it, it's super fascinating mm-hmm. um you're on joe rogan's podcast recently how's that it was wild it's uh crazy studio um wait why is that studio crazy just archery range and you know fitness and just you know ultimate media center and just it's it's so cool the the environment i think having an environment to do the things that you love do everything that you love in one place. That's just a cool thing to achieve. Yeah. How, how was, uh, how was he? He's great. He's, he's super balanced trying to bring in all sides of the story. And that's what we need to do. We need to not just fall into our, our own echo chambers. We need to constantly be talking to people who think differently than us. And, you know, he's, he's pretty good at not letting the crowd dictate what he talks about. It's, is you know, when you have a lot of people yelling at you to, to talk about different things, like you just, you want to be true to your own principles. And I think he's doing a good job there. He, uh, he, he strikes me as a, uh, as a pretty fair guy, right. In terms of the questions he asks mm-hmm. and he pushes back on people when, when he wants to. Um, and he plays devil's advocate a lot, which is, which is a very important strategy. I think though, that while doing devil's advocate, it's important to also steel man. Are you familiar with that? No, what's that? So steel manning an argument. So, you know, straw man, Yep. you're basically creating a false argument of someone uh, that isn't even what they actually think to make them look worse. And it's just a horrible way to communicate. A lot of lazy. Twitter's full. (laughs) Yes. Just creating these fake arguments of people. So steel manning is when you're having a conversation or debate with someone trying to create the best version 
of their argument as opposed to the worst version. And then it's such a more honest basis for having a conversation. So it doesn't mean that you're agreeing with them. You're saying, okay, let me get this straight. This is what you think. And you're trying to be totally sincere to represent them well. Mm -hmm. So I think steel manning while simultaneously playing devil's advocate is, is really effective. I, I think he does both. Yeah. yeah, he he uh, he fascinates me because uh, he talks about weird shit. Mm-hmm. Um, he is uh, p- pumps out a ton of content, and uh, I think that he has a variety of life experiences and the people he brings in there. Um, he's just able to pull on so many different things that the the conversations are wide ranging. Uh, I listened to one recently with uh, Killer Mike. I don't mm-hmm. know if you uh, if you heard this one. He, they talked for like two and a half hours yep. about everything. Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, I, I just said that. I was like, how the heck does all do these two guys know that much about that many different things? Right. Yeah. Why and why are we limiting ourselves and sort of just creating these uh, limited perspectives of, of what we're actually into. It's, it's so much more interesting to see how everything's interconnected and to hear random people's takes on, on different things. It it makes it more human. I, uh, the reason why I'm asking is, uh, somebody recently tweeted at me and said, uh, uh, you know, what do I think about him? And I said, I'd love to interview him. Like he always interviews everybody else. Mm -hmm. I'd love for him to be the subject Mm -hmm. and just see like, you know, he doesn't get to play devil's advocate, right? Like he actually, he has to be the res, the respondent to devil's advocate. I think it would be super, uh, super interesting uh, because he is so fascinating based on all these conversations. I mean, he's had you know thousand at this point. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it's, uh, it's pretty incredible. Yeah. And just being able to search for the truth about so many different topics. I mean, what, what else are we doing here? That's why we're on this planet to figure out what's going on. So it's, it's sort of, it feels like an exploration into what the hell is going on on this planet right now. Let's, yeah. let's figure this out because it's pretty insane. It's incredible. Um, all right, let's, uh, let's get back to uh, social networks. Um, I worked at uh, Facebook, uh, ran, uh, one of these growth teams that, uh, um, Obviously, the Facebook uh, approach has worked very well in terms of uh, growing social networks. You run a social network that uh, some of the core components or beliefs are in direct contrast with what I think people would argue was so successful for Facebook. Mm -hmm. So if you think of MySpace versus Facebook, one of the things was Facebook made you have your real identity, right, versus a MySpace that didn't necessarily say – hey, we're a proponent of anonymity, but they allowed you to have some pseudonymity with the profiles, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the second thing is the growth hacking, right? And so maybe talk through you know, your perspective as to, uh, let's do like Facebook, Twitter, and Google, right? W- walk me through, if you're running those companies, what you would do differently first. I mean, I'm into growth hacking. It's more consensual growth hacking though. And so that's where they've broken everybody's trust. They've, they've not been clear about consent of what they're doing and, you know, pulling in your contacts and, you know, basically tricking you into betraying not only your own privacy, but all your friends' privacy. So, you know, when you feed them all your kind, your friend didn't tell you, you could give your num their number to whatever app. (laughs) Okay. So let's talk about this, right? Cause what you're basically talking about is, uh, I signed up for Facebook Right. And uh, and one of the things that they do is they ask you for your contact book right Mm -hmm. now from the Facebook perspective. The reason why they're asking you for that contact book is that is probably some of your most close friends, colleagues, acquaintances, except you have their phone number in your phone. Mm -hmm. Right. 
Uh, if you give me that, it usually has their name and it has their phone number. Their phone number, they've also put into Facebook, right? And as have you. And so now all of a sudden, I can very quickly map who you are friends with or who you know on Facebook based on that contact book, right? So it's a way for them to quickly figure out do you know, you know, uh, friend recommendations, content recommendations, all this stuff. Uh, very effective. Effective. And honestly, you can achieve the same thing. They're just missing one step. Okay. What is that? The one step is if I want my number to be shared by my friends so they can find me on whatever app, why don't I just say, Hey, look, everyone, that's okay. And so, so my number now goes into a pool of numbers that it's okay to do it with. But so you, what you're basically saying, and, and so people at home understand the nuance here, if I sign up for Facebook and they ask me, do you want to share your contacts? They ask me the you know user number one, mm-hmm. and I do have to agree. Now, one of the arguments that detractors have is they may not make it as clear as what they're going to do with the number. They could do things that would improve that experience, but they do ask, and you do have to consent that I am going to give my phone contacts to Facebook. You are user number two. User number two's phone number is in user number one's phone book. You're making the argument that user number two owns their phone number. Do you disagree with the idea that user number one owns their phone book? Like, how do you? And, and it's really they nuanced, own it for right? themselves. It's but I think that user number one, you know, if they could have the information of which of their contacts are cool with that or not, I think that they would be more than happy to respect their friends. Privacy. What, what do they care? Yeah. yeah, I would agree with that. Yeah. So, like, the idea is basically there would be almost be a third option. Like, yes, I want to share my contacts. No, I don't want to share my contacts. Or, yes, I want to share my contacts as long as my friends agree that their numbers can be included. Yeah, that's right? the type of thing we want to achieve in every little feature like that. Every mm-hmm. invite feature, um, the types of information that that we're keeping, and and whatnot. It, so. Look, I worked at the company at Facebook, right? I know a ton of people who work at the Googles and the Twitters, et cetera. I don't think that 99% of the people are malicious in any way. Right? Agreed. Like, like, I actually think that they are good-hearted, well-intentioned people who are doing their job. And most of them are brilliant. Right. It's super smart. Yeah. I mean, the whole thing, right? Like, yeah. you couldn't be more um, – you couldn't speak more positively about the individual people. What – tends to happen, I think, across all of these companies is there's metrics and they're trying to do things to increase the metrics because that's how they increase their business, right? Metrics can be revenue, users, connectivity, content, you know, frequency, all all this stuff. Mm -hmm. And the way that they do it, they're basically pushing new frontiers, right? The idea that uh, I could ask you for all of your contacts before cell phones was almost impossible, right? What are you going to do? Send me your phone book, mm-hmm. right? Like, like it wasn't a thing. Now, all of a sudden, we have these mobile phones. We actually have a digital version of all of my contacts. Right. And with the press of a button, because of the way the phone is set up, I can immediately share my entire phone book with somebody else. If I share with a friend, not that big of a deal. Share with a company. Ah, now we're getting into some of the nuanced arguments here. Mm-hmm. How do we, do you think we should reverse some of this stuff? Or do you think it's okay from now on? We've got to address this stuff moving forward. Like, like how how would you go about kind of addressing what's already happened? Yeah, damage control is positive. I didn't want to call it damage control, but you, you said it. So, what, the damage control? How would you address it? I I think that 
they can't they are pushing new frontiers and so i understand you can make mistakes along the way because you're just you're pushing and you know you didn't realize that you know maybe this well would, and it might not even no. have been a mistake at that time and yeah. now we realize right it's like it's like cigarettes at first mm-hmm. no one thought they were actually bad right and yeah. then also like, hey this is actually really bad for you yeah in hindsight, mistake at yeah. the time with the information everyone had, not a mistake. It's been 10 years since Facebook knew it was a mistake, at least, and all the others. So, you know, there is a clear consciousness of this situation. Um, and there's, you know, he, the conversation starting to be had. So this is why we see, you know, Dorsey talking about Bitcoin more and Zuckerberg talking about blockchain and decentralization and more privacy and encryption. But like, you know, WhatsApp co-founder Brian Acton left WhatsApp because he knows that they're, they're betraying all of those people's privacy. He feels horrible about it. That's why he invested $50 million in uh, Open Whisper. And um, signal, 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 or yeah, and the Instagram founders left. The Oculus founder. I mean, they're all. There's something going wrong where there's a disconnect. So I I will say that um, that happens at every company, right? And the reason why I say that is like if you look at Apple, Google, etc., the founders stay for a while, and eventually they go to leave. Yeah, but these were explicitly stated reasons. So I I do agree with that, right? So like the founders leaving to me isn't as big of a deal as it is the reasons why they're saying no. For sure, yeah. You move on. You do new projects. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. 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 And, And. the part to me that is uh, is interesting, I think. Is, so, like, go to the privacy stuff, right? I don't know if there's a right answer, right? In the sense of what you think is privacy may be different than what I think is privacy. We're both technically right, right? Like, my, my self-privacy or, or my personal privacy may be different than what you define that as. For a platform with 3 billion people, it's it's damn near impossible to get the solution for everyone right. Now, what I think you have to do is you got to do a trade-off of, from an ethical standpoint, right, what, do you, what does the content owner believe? What does, uh, what serves the purpose for the most amount of people, right? And then also, there's probably some kind of like downside, the extreme protection of like, if you're doing something that serves the most amount of people, but then like somebody can die, <laughs> you, right, you mm-hmm. probably have to address that. But I don't know. I'm not even saying that, sharing all your information is necessarily ethically wrong. Some people would all agree, I want to live stream my whole life. I want Facebook to have all my data so that they can feed me the best stuff. And that should be an option Mm -hmm. for people. But also, you know, have a toggle of options across the spectrum so that the user on the onboarding can decide. And yeah, it's going to be a rougher UX if you fully lock down your privacy. That's just the reality. Mm-hmm. But so I'm not taking it from a purist perspective. We're only going to do the hyper privacy focused option. I think that we could get into options where as long as consent is there, sure, there can be open data. There's so many amazing things you can do with analytics and AI and open data. None of those things are inherently positive or negative. Mm-hmm. What, what is... Uh other than the privacy stuff, right? Like, like, what do they do with your data? What do you consent yeah. to? What do your friends give them? All that stuff. Mm-hmm. What What are the other big th- areas that you think are uh, are important for the large social networks to to address? I mean, I think they all need to free all their code. Okay, I, explain explain that more. So, you know, I think we all agree that we want to know what is in the food that we eat, okay. so that you know, there's 
not going to, we're not going to get poisoned. Okay. Uh, why wouldn't you want to know what is in the app that you're eating, that you're buying, that you're, that you, that you're installing? You're, you basically, you know, and if you want, you want to talk about transhumanism and, and, you know, extensions of our biology. Our phones are, they are extensions of ourselves. They're, they're, they're streaming out information about us. They're pulling in information. They're, they're, they're how we're downloading information and processing it. Okay. So why, would we want to be installing things that are abusing us? And 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 because when you don't have access to the source code, it doesn't mean you're going to go in and inspect the source code. Mm-hmm. <laughs> There's a tiny percent of people that are going to be interested and do that. But at least the peer review community and they the can. experts have the ability to do that for the people. And this is why the you know labeled food food movement got huge. I was just going to say some yeah. people would argue that we don't know what's in our own food. Yeah, <laughs> it's the same principle. And you know. We are but seeing what, that industry explode. Yep. We're seeing Bitcoin, open source, crypto. It's exploding for that reason. What, what do you think comes out of? So uh, let's say Twitter says, all right, you know, we believe in all of this. We're going to open source the code. Mm-hmm. Is it more of having the ability to verify that they're not doing nefarious stuff with the data? Is it more of uh, being able to understand if they're doing something bad that's like, one major component but there's also the innovation component where if they do it open source the code then we can move towards decentralization we can have everyone set up their own node we can have everyone building on top of the beautiful platform that twitter's built it's epic software why force companies like us and you know these and these other emerging alternatives to reinvent the wheel it's like what's our actual mission here mm-hmm. and so and with certain licensing, you know, companies can still protect themselves. It's not like you're just giving away all your secrets and you're screwed. I mean, how does the open source enterprise software business thrive? By sharing. Because mm-hmm. you know you're going to achieve network effects by sharing. Mm-hmm. It, it is. Uh, it's very interesting to me, the psychological elements of uh, capitalism versus collaboration, mm-hmm. right? Like a lot of times those two things are in direct conflict where I actually can gain more my entity my organization by not working with you you right? think that well well, so, well here's my argument is in some situations that's definitely true right in very binary situations you and i are both going after a customer i'm not going to help you because i want the customer if i get the customer and you don't i make more money you you don't make that money mm-hmm, right mm-hmm. i think your argument and what i want to hear you elaborate on is there's a whole nother part of business where collaboration actually can be more profitable than the capitalistic kind of binary uh, type approach. Yeah. And I, I don't want it to get confused as if like, just because your, your, your software is, is publicly available, that means that you have to, you know, live stream all the secrets of everything happening within your company. So, um, yeah, it, it, it's, um, there's the innovation benefit. There's the ability to inspect to, for malicious stuff argument. And, you know, I'm just trying to contribute to, you know, evolution. Mm-hmm. That's that's why I'm here personally. <laughs> so, and I think companies think they're doing that too, and they are in certain ways. I mean, it's not as if mainstream social media is all 100% evil. I mean, mm-hmm. they've facilitated revolutions. They've spread information. It's, Do you think it, that it, Facebook and Twitter are net positive to the world or net negative? Like all the good stuff, all mm. the bad stuff, you put it down, you write it on a piece of paper, 
Are we net positive or net negative for having them? We're fluctuating somewhere in the middle. Really? Uh, yeah. You think it's neutral? Yeah. I mean, I I, I think wow. that. Well, are you familiar with Richard Stallman? Uh, I've heard the name before. Why do, why do I know that name? He is the founder of the oh, this uh, is of the open, GNU o- Linux. Uh, yeah, yeah, open source. I, so I saw the documentary. Rick Burton from uh, yeah. Balance mm-hmm. uh, sent it to me, and I watched the. Uh, that, that's why I know what it is. Yeah. Yep. So you know, he is like fully hardcore. You yep. know, he won't even interact with anything on his machine that is proprietary. You know, he wrote the general public license. He, you know, co-authored GNU Linux. So, you know, epic dude. Mm -hmm. But his argument is convenience over um, freedom is just not it's he's he'll never make that decision for convenience over Mm -hmm. freedom. Just Mm -hmm. never. It's just his principle. You know, I'm not I'm, I'm certainly not that hardcore, but I think, you know, the Internet existed and you can't change the past. So I don't even know what to say. If it, someone else would have popped up mm-hmm. and we still would have a social network, you know, it's not like just because Facebook and Twitter came along that no one else would have. So it's hard to say. I, I, I think that we need to be focused on making decisions that align with our principles. I think that it is a fair argument. I probably disagree in the sense that I find it hard to argue it's not a net positive. There's still tons of issues, right? So it's not like it's 100% positive stuff. Mm-hmm. It may be, it could even be 51, 49 positive to negative, right? But it's mm-hmm. the, the, the positives outweigh the negatives in my mind in impact on the world. Now, there's an argument to be made if you take that same debate and I say, is it positive or negative? to an individual's psychological state, uh, there might be a bigger I'm argument for the negative side. I'm weighing a lot of side. that in, yeah. Right, like, so, like that actually may be more negative than positive for certain people. For information flow, it's undeniable, but I'm not gonna give credit to, or full credit for you know the, the information flow of you know breaking events and you know everything that social media has, has been amazing for. I'm not gonna give that all to Facebook and Twitter. I'm gonna mm-hmm. give that credit to the internet. I think that's fair. Like you, like you could you you have to share the credit, right? It's not the, the yeah. internet doesn't internet doesn't get one hundred percent credit. Mm-hmm. Facebook and Twitter don't get one hundred percent credit. There are, there are just a lot of different platforms, and everyone contributed something. And what bothers me is that they know about open source. They contribute a lot to open source. I mean, React, Angular. You know, we use Angular. Google. You know, th- these companies sponsor amazing open source mm-hmm. projects, and so they're so well aware of this rift in what they're doing Infra- for, for deep infrastructure of, of applications. They're there. You know, they know they want those open source developers helping them out. Mm-hmm. They want that adoption and they know the only way they're going to get the adoption with like the, you know, server level stuff, database stuff is if they open source it. But mm-hmm. with the, you know, super competitive edge, the front end fancy stuff, you know, even a lot, you know, well, look, neither the back end nor front end, of Facebook is fully open source. So what do you think about um, part of the blockchain space or crypto space is this idea of like on-chain businesses. Mm-hmm. So the idea that uh, if I'm getting paid on chain and I like fully decentralize, I fully with full transparency. So what I mean by that is uh, you're able to see as anybody out there in the world can see what all my expenses are, what mm-hmm. all my revenue is, my profitability, what I actually paid people, yeah. I mean, everything. Too extreme? Do you think we're actually going towards that? Where are you on that? 
I'm I'm into that. I'm You're into, into I, it. I'm into moving in that direction. I mean, so we did it, our first funding round was equity crowdfunding round. Okay. So we had to publish our financials, financials with the SEC, yep. which was which is cool. Um and you know, more more transparency with how the comp- company is operating. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we're not paying everyone in, in crypto yet, but you know, we're basically trying to educate people about how to go on chain. So the way our system works is you can, you we distribute rewards off chain, but we're incentivizing people to go on chain. So you can like boost your posts on chain or off chain. You can send uh, tokens in between users on chain or off chain. And we have these tutorials for MetaMask and you know mm-hmm. how to do it. But you know, fully on chain social networks, you know, you're paying gas for everything. It's just not. It's not going to go yet. mainstream. It's yeah, yep. it, it, yeah. It, we're moving towards that, but also you know, blockchain is probably not going to solve all of our problems for decentralizing the social network. We're also we're we're working on a side project called Nomad, which uses your Ethereum address from your Mind's wallet as sort of your username verified entity in in Nomad, and then we're using React Native and Node, and then have you heard of DAT protocol or IPFS? Oh, IPFS, yeah. Yeah, they're similar. And so these are like fully peer-to-peer, you know, no central server networks, Mm -hmm. torrent style. Mm -hmm. And, you know, those types of tools are much more scalable in a lot of ways. You know, more there's more ephemeral data. You know, you don't Mm -hmm. need everything on the blockchain. I think we want a lot on-chain. We want other decentralized protocols to help us out too. So we're sort of trying to mesh them together. What about, uh, do you think Telegram actually doesn't keep everything? I, we have no idea. They're proprietary. And that's where, for example, if they open source, we'd know. Yeah. Yeah. It, I, I don't see the loss. Like, I remember when we first were releasing all our code, it was scary. Because, you know, because you, you have that feeling like, oh, shit, is someone going to come and steal our steal our secrets and compete with us and get bigger than us? And we just put four years of work into building the scalable infrastructure. And, oh, my God, what's going to happen? It's so anticlimactic. And then you're just like, oh. I feel so much better. We're abiding by our principles. The code's out there. The developers start coming in and, and helping out and you start to feel the benefits of it. And so mm-hmm. there's just so much fear involved in people not sharing it. They th- because it's new or because there it's the unknown? It's the unknown. You people, uh, you know, when you invest all your time, money into building a business and, you know, you have this fear that someone's just going to grab what you're doing and, and compete with it, it's scary. But that's what's cool about copy left free software licenses like AGPL v3 is that if someone takes your code and makes changes to it, they have to share those changes with the whole community. Mm-hmm. So it, it's, it's self propelling. And, you know, then there's like Apache license and, uh, you know, MIT and stuff where, uh, forks don't have to share their code. And mm-hmm. I think that there's value for that too, but AG, you know, free software, AGPL v3 is, um, it's, it's really powerful. Facebook has a blockchain team. Mm-hmm. What do you? Uh, what do you? What's your take on um, them going into blockchain? Zuck talking about potentially like decentralizing Facebook Connect. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, this reported stablecoin. It's proving the value. So I I love that they're talking about it. It's just it's validating everything about mm-hmm. the industry. Mm-hmm. So great, let's go there. But. Likely it's going to be proprietary. It, you know, 
just they should just do it the right way. Well, so here, here's my take. This, this is my hot take. <laughs> okay, yeah. I think they are. You think I, they're gonna? I I think there's a more than fifty percent chance that they come out with like a decentralized offering. I, I don't know exactly what it's gonna be, but like I know some people on the team and they're in these Telegram chats and like mm-hmm. they're doing their work. Yeah. The big question is, can the people on the team who understand the ethos, believe in the ethos, uh, are attracted to work on that team because of the ethos, right? All, all that stuff. Can they get the approvals? Right. Right. So like the team I actually have a very high degree of confidence in. Mm-hmm. It is. That's the showdown. And I bring that framework up because uh, I know many of the people at the Wall Street banks working on the blockchain stuff. Mm-hmm. And the teams actually want to do the thing, the right things. Right. And then they're like, yeah, we walk into the board and like, you know, unnamed CEO at whatever bank is like, no way. Like mm-hmm. the non-starter. And so they got to go back to the drawing board and they get frustrated. Right. And so yeah. like, to me, it is the separation of people who grew up with one type of approach to building companies in direct conflict with people who actually understand and believe in the things that you and I believe in. Yeah. Yeah. I think that boards get in the way and that is possible, but I, you know, with Facebook, look, if, if Zuckerberg wants it to be an open blockchain, it, it will be. That's oh, it, I agree it's with that. his decision. If this is done the right way or not. I agree with that. <laughs> the, the thing that, um, I'm hoping is a saving grace, right? Uh, mm-hmm. Maybe it was Naval or somebody on Twitter had tweeted uh, after Bill Gates said you know, something about Bitcoin help, like helped kill people or not, I don't know what the hell what yeah. he was talking about. Um, but somebody tweeted and they were like, you know, don't get it confused. If Bill Gates was still a teenager, he'd be working on crypto. Mm-hmm. Right. Like, you know, basically you rage against the man. And when you're successful, you become the man. Right. That type of stuff. Uh Zuck's very well off and he's been very successful. Uh, I actually think he deserves a lot of, you know, what he's gotten because of what he built, but he's still young enough where I think that he's not the 50 plus year old, like, like he's like over the line and we'll never get him back. Mm -hmm. Like that's the one thing that I'm hoping, right? I I think Jack Dorsey similar, like Mm -hmm. I think Jack's a little bit older than Zuck, but they're still just young enough where I think that they will be attracted. We know Jack obviously is yeah, attracted they're, they're listening to, the to the people a little bit. I mean, they, you can't deny it. They're aware of cultural trends and oh, memes. For sure. So, you know, and the constant uproar over all of the abuses of, of I mean, how can they not be listening? It's, mm-hmm. it's a, you know, they're losing active users. People hate it. They're mm-hmm. freaked out. So, you know, I'm not you can't pat them on the back too much for I I just think that they have a lot of work to do to regain trust. Okay, so go down this uh, line of thinking, though. Do they need to regain trust? Because if they just decentralize things and start being super transparent, is it less about gaining trust and more about just giving people the ability to oh, yeah, make it make it trustless? Yeah, I mean, because that, that, that's, that's the chess move. Do. That's the chess move, mm-hmm. right? Is it, it's the judo move of cool uh, Facebook 2010? Everyone's yelling and screaming about your desktop focused. You guys don't understand mobile chess move. We're going all in on mobile. Bam, become one of the biggest you know mobile successes in our lifetime. Mm-hmm. 
now all of a sudden everybody, oh, you're centralized, you're, you know, you're, you're too centralized, you're abusing data, all stuff. Can they do it again, right? So Facebook specifically, could Twitter do it? Could Google do it? Chess move. We're going to actually go the exact, op- we're going to go all in on decentralization. We're going to go all in on transparency, all in on blockchain tech. Like mm-hmm. that's a pretty big bet. Uh, and it's very much 180 degrees from what's working today. Like the thing with mobile to, to desktop is like, it's more of a shift, mm-hmm. right? And and your mobile usage doesn't necessarily cannibalize your desktop usage. Like you just, there's some people who have mobile phones who don't use desktop, right? And vice versa. Right. This would be a much more extreme bet, I think. I don't think it needs to be so extreme. Like it's not like de- it's not like everything needs to be a hundred percent fully de- decentralized. Like we need you know decentralized with parentheses around the de. Like okay. you you need central servers are going to be important for certain jobs. That's just a fact, and it's not like we but we want the option to go fully peer to peer. You know, maybe. Oh, you so you w- think that really the solution could just be give people the optionality? Yes. And and literally, if you just say ninety percent of our users continue to use our centralized product, but we do have the option if you'd like to operate on our decentralized Facebook product, then yeah. you can opt out and go to that product. That alone would be a huge milestone. Yeah. You, yeah. Of course. I mean, and the thing is with immutable. I don't think that's an extreme view. No, I, it's really I, not. It's actually yeah. balanced. Yeah. I mean, I, I actually, <laughs> I actually like that idea. You're the first person who's told me that. But like the idea of. You don't have to go 100% either way. You can provide optionality. Mm-hmm. Like, I like that because that is very much in line with a lot of the ethos of like, you have the personal freedom to choose. Do you want to operate and use the product that's on the centralized service mm-hmm. or do you want to use it on the decentralized service? Yeah. Different benefits to both. You know, you can't delete from a blockchain. Maybe you want to delete your photo. Mm-hmm. You, know, you probably want a server, a central server, if you want to do that. Mm-hmm. So, what, why don't I have the choice when I'm posting if I want to unleash it? Into decentralized, you know, cosmos, or you know, put it on a server. The uh, uh, the idea of not being able to delete photos. I don't know why I just thought of this, but like every you know young college couple who like, hey, we're dating. They post a bunch of photos, and then like three months later, they go delete them all. Right? Like it's like uh, the old school like get a tattoo, mm-hmm. right? Of like a guy or girl's name, and you can't get rid of it. Yeah, <laughs> it's like post the photos on the blockchain, can't get rid of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, there's 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 all these weird uh, paradoxes between privacy and blockchain because you know GDPR is actually not even compatible with blockchain blockchain really. So because you know the this this right to be forgotten. Well, guess what? When you're like cruising around the internet, writing to databases, you know whether it's decentralized database or centralized, you're having a footprint. You know, mm-hmm. even deleting from Cassandra, which is a, you know, NoSQL centralized database, it's hard to delete stuff from there. Like you have footprints and in, in tombstones of interactions of data. So saying, oh, I want to, you know, I have the right to be able to delete every trace of myself from the Internet. Well, it's like, well, I can't delete the fact that, you know, I just walked by that guy five minutes ago. Mm-hmm. Like our, our paths through the Internet are not it, it's not that simple. From a technical perspective. Mm -hmm. What's your take on um, users outside the United States? Like, Do you think they actually care about this stuff? Oh, for sure, don't you? You think so? My take is that Facebook specifically, because they're more probably international than most, uh, I don't think that anyone outside the U.S. is really 
aware or paying attention to a lot of the privacy stuff. Like, I think that it's the the tech media, North American users, like everyone's really rallied up right now. Mm-hmm. In those other, in a lot of countries around the world, not, not, I don't even know if it's most, but a lot of countries around the world, Facebook is the best option. Hands down, period. Like, yeah. not even close. Well, we just about four months ago got within two, 48 hours, got 150,000 users to sign up from Vietnam randomly wow. our site's not even it wasn't even translated to vietnamese yet and that was because there's a new cyber quote unquote cybersecurity law coming out in vietnam which is essentially a revolving door between google and facebook and the government to mm-hmm. censor and surveil people so all the you know some some really big name journalists from over there signed up and brought you know their followings their over and so people can't be passionate about what they don't know i think that once you have options before you like you know more options the better look if i have the option to have internet freedoms respected and the functionality is equivalent let me ask this would you ever sell your company to facebook no no why because it it, there's no point It, it, it would unless they literally I would buy them. <laughs> I mean, not that I ever could, yep. but they they do everything wrong. Un- unless they started doing everything right and unleashed all the code and it, it, it wouldn't, it, no, it's not, it's not possible. What if it they would, created the, they just take our code. What they if, don't need our code though. <laughs> what, what if they created the optionality? So they said, Hey, you know what? We hear the people, we're going to have a centralized option, decentralized option for Facebook. You get to choose personal choice. Yeah. We want you to come help us build it. Yeah, n- no. No? No. No, I'll come help them build it without buying the company. So I'm, I'm here to help. I, w- I want to help them. I want I, them to transform, but I don't, it's not. The reason why I ask yeah. is uh, I'm very interested to see how talent starts to look at a lot of these internet companies and mm-hmm. the decisions they make and should they go work at them? Should they not? Are there startups that are better or worse, right? Some startups actually mm-hmm. may be worse. Um, it, it's just uh, the impact on the ability to hire talent is going to be very interesting as well. Oh, for sure. I mean, I think that the best developers are starting to not want to work at these companies because developers care about these things. They, you know, they're into crypto ethos. Mm-hmm. Why, why do they, you know, it's so they get tempted with, you know, huge salaries and, but, it, you know, they don't get to share their code that they just spent four years working on with everyone. That's why developers like to go work for crypto companies because mm-hmm. a lot of them are open source and yeah. their work gets to get shared. It's crazy. Yeah. What, um, it, explain to everybody how you guys use crypto as an incentive on the platform. So we launched an ERC-20. We didn't give founders any or, you know, and we had the product on day one and we went through all the variables that, you know, most people hate about a lot of ERC-20s and made sure that we were doing it as right as possible. Basically, for all the engagement you receive every day, your engagement is divided by the total engagement in the network. So that's your percentage of the daily token reward pool. And that just runs every day. And we have a, a supply and it basically, we increase the supply in parallel to user growth and you can use your tokens. Like one token will give you a thousand extra impressions when you boost with it. So you earn virality, essentially. We want it, we're never gonna bring in the crazy newsfeed algorithms. And you know, our whole thing is we want creators to get heard. Mm-hmm. I don't wanna take your reach away. I mean, I had pages on Facebook with like 5 million followers and we were driving crazy traffic from Facebook to mines. 
Mm-hmm. And then now you're only reaching like three to 5% of your own followers on Facebook. I mean, that is the ultimate bait and switch. Like, oh, okay, yeah, let's build a social network so people can post their friends, but then only let them reach 5% of their friends. All right, so I, ha- I have to defend <laughs> oh, Facebook. Because no. I, I actually uh, ran, along with a engineering colleague, the growth team for Facebook pages. Mm-hmm. And our job was to get people on. Mm-hmm. And so the one thing that I will say in their defense is some of it is not their decision. And here's why. If you get, let's say you start a page, mm-hmm. right? And you get 10 followers and you post content, right? And those 10 people reload their newsfeed. Those 10 people will have, uh, let's say, uh, I don't know, eight slots for commercial content in that newsfeed load. But they only like or follow your page. So they just signed up for Facebook. You're the only page. You have a very high probability of getting in one of those eight slots with your content because you're the only page, right? Actually, you might fill all eight slots depending on how much content you have. They then go and like 10 other pages over a couple of months. Then they like 100. At some point, they like 250 other pages. Now, you plus the 249 other pages are all competing for those same eight slots. Mm -hmm. So there is some like natural decay, not in Facebook changing the algorithm, just in that the longer users been on the platform, the more types of content have access to their platform. Mm -hmm. Now, what Facebook does do, right, or or did do, at least when I worked there, is they'll do things like, if you're a new page, let's get your content a lot of distribution, because what we know is, if you get a lot of engagement early on, you realize that people are there, so you stay, right? If you start a page, nobody's there, after seven days, you're, ah, I'm out of here, right? So they do things like that, because it actually keeps you on the page. Now, it's two ways to look at it. They need to do it to get you to stay retained, right? To actually use the platform. People want your content. They subscribe. They help you build an audience. They're helping you build your business. Mm-hmm. The other way to look at it is they gave me a bunch of reach and they took it away from me, right? Like, yeah. like it, it, it's such a complex problem that I am glad I don't have to deal with that anymore. No, I understand. So and I hard. actually think that there's lots of benefits of algorithms and having that, as again, as an option. Mm-hmm. But- I think that the default news feed should always be 100% raw chronological. Okay, so, so your argument is basically don't have the ranking algorithm. Instead, just do reverse chronological order. Basically As the default, newest. have the yep. ranking. Have an alternate. But the, the reason, obviously, they do the ranking algorithm by default is for all these reasons of retention and, yep. and whatnot. So the, yeah, the, the ranking yeah. algorithm is absolutely better on almost every single metric other than the content creator getting their distribution. Un- un- well, let me do two things. Unless you're one of the highest rewarded content creators. So the, the very best content creators get the most distribution mm-hmm. because they get the most engagement. You know, it's a right, kind of right. self-fulfilling prophecy. Mm-hmm. The argument I think they would have is, well, shouldn't the, like we let the audience decide the audience no, they decide. Don't. so i want to hear your your, your responses but yeah. their argument would be we let the audience decide who the best is we use engagement as a proxy for their votes and therefore engagement leads to more distribution right you would argue well what do you actually think so what it, would you prefer for your default newsfeed? it's different actually mm-hmm. on facebook i like the fact that it's ranked and he, and the reason is uh on facebook 
the way I use the platform, right? And you could argue, actually, I use the platform this way because of the algorithm, right? So there's kind of a chicken and egg type thing, causation. Um, but I use the platform because I only want to see the highest quality things. Like I actually don't want to see my 20 friends who posted something stupid. I don't care, right? Mm-hmm. I want to see the highest quality things. And usually it's because those people are, it's a much more curated list of people, right? It's family, it's close friends, et cetera. Sure. Twitter, I got 190,000 followers. I got, you know, I don't know, two, three, 4,000 people I follow. I follow those people, not because I think they have the highest quality content. I follow them because I know that the content is almost always in some version of reverse chronological order, right? Or, or relatively near time. And I'm curating the list of people to benefit from that. So I follow a bunch of reporters. Why? Because they have news, right? Like mm-hmm. all, it, it's very different. I don't follow those reporters on Facebook. So right. it's almost like a, there's not a one size fits all. It's the different platforms actually want different algorithms. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I'm, look, I want different alg- algorithms. I just think that reach matters. You, you know, if you, you work years and years building up a following under the notion of, of an algorithm, like reverse chronological, you just worked on that platform for years to build up your following under that, preconception. So when that is taken away after years of work to build a following, and then suddenly the default feed is no longer that, and your business is destroyed, a whole industry was destroyed when Facebook started killing organic reach. You know, people who were driving traffic and and surviving, I have so many friends whose businesses are gone Mm -hmm. because of that. So I think that the agreement that you, and again, uh, consensual agreement, you know, a contract that you're creating with uh, an app that you're signing up for, like if that's how it is when you sign up, I mean, yeah, they look, they, they can do it, but I don't consider that cool. <laughs> you're, you're more in the camp of they shouldn't change the algorithm unless there's a vote or, yeah. or, or there's some sort of consensus agreement that this is good for majority of the people involved. Let the user decide the feed that they want by default and don't, you know, on Twitter, actually, they no longer do you in the upper right of your newsfeed on the app. You can put it to reverse, but they always put you back. You have to do it every day to go to chronological. So because it's better, right? <laughs> better in the sense of uh, increased engagement, increase, like it, it drives all the business metrics. Right. It drives all the user metrics. It draw like, but it doesn't drive the metrics for the users of the platform. The, the, the metrics, the metrics, it, well, for the it, it user- drives it for the best, the people who are the best. Right. So like right. my Twitter, when they went to the algorithm, I got way more engagement mm-hmm. because my content continued to get engaged with and it was at near the top of the feed. Mm-hmm. Right. So I actually benefited. I was a beneficiary of the algorithm change. Right. So I'm sitting here as a self-serving, you know, individual saying, I love the algorithm, right? Mm-hmm. Reverse chronological, the switch to ranked hurt a whole bunch of other people, right? So, right? so it's kind of like it has different impacts to different people depending on how the algorithm affects you. Are you sure that if your posts were going to – see, you don't know who your posts are going You don't actually even understand the algorithm. And this is the problem. Like 
you don't know the numbers of comparison right now. If you were to post to the chronological or the yeah, there's whatever. no way for me to A/B test it. <laughs> no, you can't. Yep. So we actually, and and that's we need to see the algorithms. I mean, oh, you think that they should open source what those algorithms are? Everything. Oh man, people would game that so much. Yeah. Well, but <laughs> that's okay. I mean. Just people want, I subscribe to somebody, I want their stuff. It's just become so overcomplicated. If I don't like you, if you're bothering me, like, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to push you away. Can you imagine if people knew what the Facebook ranking algorithm was? Like exact, like, oh, right. Exactly what it was. You know, Mm -hmm. you get this many likes in this many minutes and everything. But I think it would make users just be so much more careful about who they're following and you know it, it has a lot, it has a lot more to do with the relationship between the subscriber and the person getting subscribed to you're not going to spam if you know you're if, if the people who are following you are getting pissed at you because you're just trying to game the algorithm I think it's fair. I don't know. I just want options. I'm not an absolutist, man. I'm not trying to come at this from like I love it. Yeah. I love it. I can talk to you for hours. <laughs> All right, before we wrap up, uh what is the most important company in crypto? Rapid fire questions. Most important company in crypto is um I I can't I can't I can't it, it, I I can only talk about Bitcoin and Ethereum I I I can't pick in a corporation right now. Oh, perfect. No, yeah, that, that's great. That's my answer. Yeah, it is I always hey you you I either pick Bitcoin or I pick <laughs> Facebook, and the reason why I pick Facebook is because whatever they create, mm-hmm. they will probably launch to more people than have than all people who've already been exposed to crypto and Bitcoin and blockchain mm-hmm. to date. So let's say there's 50, 60 million people, whatever. If Facebook turns something on. They could hit 100 million people, and all of a sudden, that's the first interaction that a wide majority of people will have mm-hmm. had. And so it's really important whatever they create. Totally agree. Right? And I, Bitcoin, just because no no one's taking out the king. I just hope that they're smart, man. I, I, I hope that they do it with principles. Because I got faith, but I'll be the first one. If they mess up, I'll, I'll be the first one to admit they messed up. Cool. What, uh, what one regulation would you change or improve if you could? Any regulation? Any. Any government, any law. Yeah. Um, I want, I want access to all the, the black projects. <laughs> <laughs> I want to know the secret technologies. The secret tech. Uh, yeah. Right, that's fair. I think that's a legitimate ask. Yeah. They'll never do it, but yeah, that's fine. What, uh, what's your most controversial thought in crypto? What do you believe that the highest majority of other people would disagree with you? I believe that, I mean, we've sort of already gone over it. I, I, I think that if you're doing a proprietary closed blockchain product project, it's just like you're wasting your time. I, I, it's, it's maybe better than other things you could be doing this life. You could be going around killing people. That's worse. <laughs> but just put it into the ethos that Bitcoin was founded on. Let's mm-hmm. stay on that train. Mm-hmm. Why are we trying to distort it? Do you think it's fair to encourage experimentation, even if it's experimentation with things we don't agree with? Open experimentation. Okay, explain that. Okay, so do like let's you can, say you can start new blockchains. Okay, sure. Okay, of course, tokenize all sorts of things. Yep, equities, points. You know, even ev- even if they go against Bitcoin's ethos. 
as long as you're being transparent and sharing the results of your experiments, I am for experimentation with blockchain. Got it. So you're, you're less about you have to do X, Y, or Z, and you're much more about no sacred cows, do whatever you want, but the process is the most important thing around transparency, testing, publishing those results, et cetera. Yeah. Okay. I I think that's- What's yours? What would I What's your most controversial? Oh, most controversial? Uh, Bitcoin's going to become a global reserve currency. And I say it's the most controversial not because I think people in crypto think that, like don't think that. Uh, I think that like maybe 1% of the global population believes that. Um, But I put the odds at like over 50% at this point. I want that. Yeah. And and, and it's just all predicated on a single idea of um, as time goes on, people will learn to trust the algorithms over the humans. Like this idea of human led central banking and just all of the bias and kind of decision making just it's all flawed when we have algorithms with transparency and the inability to corrupt them. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, so, yeah, I, I think that's probably the <laughs> yeah, there's actually a lot of people in crypto who don't even believe that. Yeah, I'm happy to have algorithms guide me around or, or drive my cars, but I just want some crazy computer scientists to be able to go in there and make sure that all the cars are not going to get simultaneously hacked and, you know, 500,000 cars go off the road at the same time. <laughs> it's fair. Well, th- think about these. Uh, you pay attention to the uh, uh, Boeing 737s. That recently got grounded, like that. That's literally computer glitch, right? It's got something. I don't even understand the full thing, but it's something about uh, the software pulls the plane into a nosedive, and the pilots are reporting that they're basically pulling out. They're like, "What the hell? What the hell? What the hell?" And there's been mm-hmm. two crashes, and it's because the software, uh, something about it, it believes that it's like the nose is too high, so it pulls it in. It tries to like eat, put it, pull it in equilibrium, but actually pulls mm-hmm. into a nosedive and they crash. Like, what happens if that's in cars? Crazy stuff. We got it. We have to maintain the humanity. Like, if you because if if the profit motive causes the software to become corrupt and all of these, pro, like, we need when if machines are going to take over the world and our biology, we just we need to remember that there's humans and if. If, if the AI can just take over in a, in a secret database somewhere that no one has, that's why open AI exists. You know, that mm-hmm. the smartest people in the world know that open systems work better. I agree with that. Uh, favorite book or actually not favorite, most important book. Most important book. That you've ever read. Um, I am going to say the most important recent book I've ever read was this uh truth in an anthology called truth by Orwell. And I'm not going to, I'm not going to say it's number one. It just what came in my head, but it just talks about who controls information flow is controlling the planet's perception of reality. And so, you know, the, back in the day, the newspapers were controlling thought. You know, if you control thought and information flow, you control history. And so when people look back on history, this is their interpretation of history if information flow is totally centralized mm-hmm. and, and locked down. So, yeah. What about you? Guns, Germs, and Steel. The uh, Jared Diamond book mm. about uh, evolution of humans. Uh, before I end, um, 
I usually let you ask me a question, but aliens, real or not? Real. Real? Yeah. 100%? Yeah. They have to be. All right. Now, everyone usually comes in here prepared for the alien question. Mm -hmm. So I've been asking, the depths of the ocean scare the hell out of me. Mm -hmm. We don't know what's down there. Like We actually probably know more about space than we do about our own ocean. Would you rather go to space or go to the depths of the ocean? Space. I'm but with you. I'm with you. The, the The alien question is is so present because, and it, it's not even ta- it's it's taboo, but it's not taboo anymore. Like it's so mainstream. Oh, they're real. It's yeah. Come on. And so, like, dude, I wh- saw. What y- conversations do we have to have? Who do we have to get in on the call or in a video conference to have the conversation to just declassify this stuff? Like, how can we? There, there are basically two civilizations on this planet right now. There are people who have access to the classified information about what's going on, and there are people who do not have access to it. So. There are two levels of consciousness happening on Earth right now. Dude, I'm going to blow your mind. I just read an article this morning. I th- Don't quote me exactly on this. I'm going to get some of the numbers wrong. But a really fucking far away away, like four billion miles away or something. I think it is. There are two galaxies colliding right now. Mm. I don't even know what happens when two galaxies collide. But and they're named like URH three seven two is colliding with URH three seven three or something, mm-hmm. right? And they're colliding. And I was like, oh, that's pretty interesting. Like, I wonder what happens when two galaxies collide. Then I kept reading the article, reading the article, and maybe, or maybe it was in four billion years, our galaxy is going to collide with that bigger one. I was like, whoa, <laughs> like what the fuck? Four billion years from now, they're saying that our galaxy is going to collide with this other one. What happens? Got to become that spacefaring civilization. It, it might not matter. Being a multi-planetary species, if the galaxies collide, I don't even I don't know what happens. I'm going to well, go that, research that, this. That's assuming that, you know, physical reality is even, you know, the basis of things. So we, don't, we don't even know if consciousness is is actually the fundamental force of the universe, so it's actually irrelevant if, you know, galaxies collide we you know the the debate between the nature of consciousness that's really where this ultimately goes because you know things aren't going to end necessarily just because two two galaxies collide yeah. wild things to think about <laughs> nice i'm uh, i'm going from the aliens now i'm uh, i'm literally going to do some research this weekend on what happens when galaxies collide i'm like scared of what i'm going to find uh what one question do you have for me to uh, to finish up when was the last time you sat alone with your own thoughts for an hour? Just focused, not like fully being present, meditating. How, do you ever do that? Have, have no, you? So I, I'm not big on, uh, on meditation necessarily. Um, my girlfriend uh, tries to do it every day and like she swears by it. Mm-hmm. Um, I do... Uh, I've gotten lazy. I don't walk to work anywhere. I live about a mile, like 1.3 miles from the office. Mm-hmm. And so there's been a couple of times where I've walked, uh, but I try, I try to walk home every night. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I can't say that it's quiet with me with my thoughts because I walk through Times Square. Right. And uh, I do always try to remind myself, like, it's pretty cool to live here where, like, you're literally watching people who have, like, 
dreamed about coming to this one location in the world that they consider like the center of the universe. Mm-hmm. And they're like walking around, just like looking at all the lights and just, you know, their faces are in awe. And most New Yorkers walk by and they're like, yeah, get the hell out of my way. <laughs> like, yeah. like stop stopping in the, you know, in the sidewalk. Um, and, and so it's just like a reminder of like, we're all pretty lucky. Uh, and so I think it has some of the effect of that, but, uh, mm-hmm. but never somebody to like really sit. I, I, I just, I got things to do, right? Like I, 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 yeah. if I sit in there for an hour, I'd either get antsy and go try to do something or I'd fall asleep. <laughs> Fair enough. Yeah. Walking through the streets of New York city, I'm always just feeling like we're in the, the blood veins of, of a super organism. It just, it's, it's crazy. crazy. You zoom out and you're, you know, when you fly into New York, you're just like, that looks like veins of a of a body, and it really is. That that that. I mean, it's crazy. Earth, Earth's an organism, and we're just like these little little flying around in metal tubes all over it, man. <laughs> wow. All right, brother, thanks listen, for having me, brother. Thank you, uh, thank you so much for coming. This yeah. is a uh, ton of fun. Um, after I do my uh, my galaxy collision uh, research, maybe we'll have you back, and uh, we it. can debate the finer points of uh, of space travel. But uh, I appreciate it very much. Thanks for having me. Another word from our sponsors at Total. They're kind of like Kayak, which helps you find the best flights. But Total helps you find liquidity by aggregating decentralized exchanges and optimally routing trades for execution. Remember, that's total.com slash pomp. T-O-T-L-E dot com slash pomp. Go check it out. Let me know what you think. Tweet at me. I'll drop you some fire emojis. Total.com slash pomp. One more word from our sponsor, BlockFi. Their new interest account allows you to securely deposit your Bitcoin or Ether at BlockFi and receive 6% annual interest paid monthly in cryptocurrency. This rate actually compounds, so you receive a 6.2% APY, which is very attractive given the alternatives. So you can actually take your Bitcoin, you can deposit it with BlockFi and get paid an interest rate of 6% in return. Go check out BlockFi.com slash POMP. Again, BlockFi.com slash POMP to sign up and start earning interest on your crypto today. Hey, everyone. POMP here. If you like this episode of Off The Chain and want to help us take crypto to the top of the Apple, Spotify, and other podcast charts, please do us a favor and rate, review, and subscribe. To review, simply go to the Off The Chain homepage, scroll down until you see the five blank stars. Taking 15 seconds to fill those stars in and leave a quick review goes a long way in helping us take the entire crypto ecosystem to the top of the charts. I appreciate you listening and see you next time on Off The Chain.